Hello, everybody. Welcome to the official Leeds United podcast with me, Matthew Lewis, and Michael Bridges. How are you this week, mate? I am absolutely tremendous, mate. I'm feeling well. I'm feeling fresh. I've had a game of golf this morning, and you know what it is? I was so excited. I looked at my diary and I saw podcast with Leeds United, yourself, and um, a man that I'm really looking forward to chatting to because obviously he's moved from um, the northeast of England, where I'm actually living currently, and he's finally seen the light and joined a proper football club. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're going to have Cardalo on later on in this episode to talk all things goalkeeping. Um, and obviously you guys being from the northeast, I'm sure you'll go off in a tangent and talk in your own <laughs> special language that, that you have up there. Um, so we're recording this um, on Tuesday um, before, obviously, the West Brom game this weekend. Um, so that's coming up on Friday afternoon. Um, how are you? How are you feeling about it, all, Bridget? We can forget about the Burnham game because I felt that you know we've got the late result, the penalty. You know, I, I was absolutely devastated. That was a dreadful game, wasn't it? It was. It was. I they mean, went, that was a nil-nil all day long. That, that was the one that I'm looking at, and I'm scratching my head, going, "How have we got beaten that?" It was nil. It, it did know. have nil-nil written over. There was three, uh, sh- three shots in the game. game. Three shots yeah. in the game on target. One from ourselves, uh, and like you say, that's not good enough. But it was one of them games where you can just go, yeah, "Let's get on the scrap heap." The second half performance in the Carabao Cup was tremendous um, the way we right. came back in the in the first match um, against Cardiff I'm taking light from that so there is dynamics in there mate and I'm saying I'm looking forward to this West Brom game because there's no more incentive Carlos Calderon was talking about would he come in so obviously mm. um, we got Daniel Farker Daniel will be up for the, the battle no doubt yeah. about it I still like the way he speaks he's, he's honest um, it's not going to be an easy game because they had a bit of a tricky start of their season but managed to get a result in their last game 3-2 but they went 3-0 up and you know Swansea City found a way later on to get two goals against them so I think they're very very vulnerable defensively um, however with John Swift and, and Matt Phillips you know Swift got a goal in their last game but Phillips I've you know I've been to admire him for a few years and um, if we can handle them boys up front um, I think I would like to think that Daniel and the team are going to get back on to the possession based game and dominate and get plenty yeah. of shots in the final third because the quicker yeah. we get the ball up with the front boys the better it's going to be I've heard you've had bigger issues though forgetting about the football you've had bigger issues this morning she's right so this is going to sound like really wank but I've got one of them uh, vacuum cleaner robots you know the ones that go around your floor and, and do everything and um I got up nice and early this morning, two hours before we were recording, so I was going to be ready and fresh. Preparation is the key. All ready, because obviously we got we got new player coming in. Got to be prepared and ready for, for Carl later on. And then um, 15 minutes before going live, um, the old vacuum cleaner decides to <laughs> chew up my internet. Uh, my fibre optic cable completely mashed it. It's done. It's ruined. It's over. So I'm currently, I'm tethering from my phone. So if it drops out, we do apologise. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll take the reins, yeah? Yeah, yeah, it's going to be all on you if that if that happens. Um, so it's been a good morning. Um, obviously, uh, that just seems to be how it's all happening in the world of Leeds United right now. Well, I was running a little bit late, and when I saw your text message to our group app, I was delighted because I knew I had a few more spare minutes. <laughs> you got a few minutes. Well, look, let's perk everyone up with the introduction of our new goalkeeper, who uh, who I think is going to have a very, very bright future with the club. Um, so, should we get him on? Let's do it. Let's get him on. I've got plenty to ask him. Come on. Amazing. Okay, everybody, please welcome our new goalkeeper, Leeds United's Carl Darlow. How are you, mate? Yeah, all well, very, very good. Thank you. Yeah, pleased to be here and uh, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to get you on, my friend. How are you settling in? Um, obviously, it's not too bad of a of a hop down the A1 from Newcastle to Leeds, but um, how's it all going so far? Yeah, good. I've been in um, 
We've been in now probably 10, 12 days and it's been pretty intense. Obviously, we had the three games last week, so um, that's quite an intense period to, to come back into. Um, I come off the plane from Atlanta. Obviously, I was pre-season with uh, Newcastle and then realised that the deal was going to go through. So, came back, flew back from there, right here at 7am in the morning. Medical, everything you wow. need to do, media, etc., was was done and dusted by 11 o'clock at night I think it was and then travelled to Hearts the next day for the pre-season game and then yeah straight into the season Jeez. so it's been a bit of a whirlwind but uh, yeah I'm finding my feet now and yeah I'm pleased to be here obviously Well I can sympathise with you because obviously I made the move many years ago 99-2000 from the northeast down to Leeds um, how's how's the travel been for you are you living or based down in Leeds at the minute or are you still commuting from the northeast? Uh, no I'm down here um, like I said we've been in near enough every day so it's, um, it's it's probably just too far for me to to be commuting from there every day um, and also I think it's nice that once for me once I'm at a club I feel like I need to be fully um, engaged in in probably the city and the people and, and everything around it I think that's a massive factor I don't think I can go from one place travelling down to another and, and have that distance between um, the club and, and where I'm actually living so um, it's nice obviously I've been back a couple of times pop back and, and see see how positive it is up there now obviously and um, yeah it's good it's, it's nice it's a, it's a good city here and um, we're looking forward to getting to know it better Well it takes me 1 hour 55 to get from Whitley Bay down to Leeds mate so you're Morpeth boy you're living there how long does it take you? Hour 45 mate it took today so yeah, he's got a faster car than me, Max. A faster car than me. Yeah. Uh, my, my footballer days, my footballer days are gone, mate. <laughs> uh, you say that, but you're in Whitley Bay. <laughs> you um, you said there that you were you were in the United States then uh, during the preseason. So, um, how did this move come about? At what point were you aware of Leeds' interest? And uh, yeah, just what brought you to this club? Uh, I'll be honest. I feel like there's been interest from from here probably for the last three or four seasons and it's felt like from every window that potentially I could come here so it's one that I've always had kind of on the radar and had conversations with the agency about that look it's one that I'd like to do it's it's a massive club and um, like you said before it's probably similar to how Newcastle are fan wise in in how um, intense and passionate the fans are about their club listen I love my time up in Newcastle I was there for nine years and to have that replicated here and to see how, how this club is, and obviously it's only early days for myself, but playing at Ellen Road in the cup game, to see them pack it out and, and have a full uh, full attendance for the first round of the Carabao Cup says everything I need to know within the first week. It's obvious, it's obvious what the club means. It's just been relegated and to still pack out a stadium in the Car- Carabao Cup first round uh, speaks volumes. So, yeah, delighted to be here. Yeah, I was about to say that's a similar thing I recognised when I made the move down from the northeast, I'd come from Sunderland to Leeds United and then bounced by to Newcastle United afterwards. But the you know what the northeast like, Carl, and how the passion in the northeast for the football fans. I was so so surprised, but pleasantly surprised when I got to Ellen Road and saw that. And you know, you've seen it in the Carabao Cup. Um, I was doing the game that night, and I'm there, and I'm thinking, my word, this just typifies what Leeds fans are all about. Like you say, the the biggest crowd attendance on game day for the Carabao Cup and the whole thing. The passionate, and you, it's great that you've recognised that. At, at an early stage, mate, and that you've you've seen that playing against them in the past. So um that'll go down really well with the fans because all we want to do, Matt, as players, you want to play in front of the most passionate and best crowds in the world, and that's what Ellen Road Ellen Road gives you. You can you, you thrive off that. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh as soon as you get the place buzzing again and 
and the atmosphere like it was. I mean, we were losing against Shrewsbury and they were still going. So it's just, yeah, it's crazy to see the support and you feel that as a player, like you say, you know, you know when you're at a club that is passionate and and has a big club mentality about it, I suppose. It's one that um, has got massive history and one that I'm looking forward to, to playing for um, for the foreseeable future. You've obviously, you know, you've said, you said there you're at Newcastle for nine years. So you're used to that one club city mentality um, and the pressure that comes. You just said there about big club mentality as well. Um, you're obviously used to that. But do you still feel a degree of pressure? I mean, obviously it was Shrewsbury Town, the Carabao Cup first round. But do you still feel, you know, you're going out there to start at Ellen Road. Do you still feel that there's a different pressure when it's at a team that expects success? Yeah, but like you've touched on there, I think when... We obviously got, well, Newcastle got relegated and we were expected to bounce straight back up. And to be fair, we came back and we bounced straight back up and won the league. So it's one that being the age I am now and having the experiences I have had throughout my football career, you learn to deal with that pressure. And I think it's it's understanding also what, what people expect and what people require for you to do on the pitch when you put on that shirt. I know, I know up there that every time that you put on the shirt, you're expected to want to win and to run and work as hard as you can and I see that's been no different here from, from the first um, from the first experiences I've had Well pressure dep- depends on where you take it Matt I've seen and Carl I've seen lots of people have that pressure and not being able to handle that pressure but the pressure comes I think you can use pressure to your advantage as well and you know when you you can feed off that if you've got the right mindset so um, obviously with the experience that Carl's had with his Newcastle experience coming to Leeds I think it stands us in great stead because it shows competition for places as well in the comp- competition but what what got me you've mentioned your age right so I've gone and had a look I'm thinking Carl Dolo young fresh faced I need to know you're 32 <laughs> right you're going to be 33 in October yeah getting on mate getting on mate I need I to know. get your recipe or whatever you eat and drink because <laughs> Since I turned 40, I've turned into a sack of crap. And you look so fresh faced for footballer, man. So um, I was I was really surprised. I still see you I still see you as a young pup, and, and that sounds crazy because I haven't seen yeah, the experience yeah. you've got behind you. Um so I need to get your remedy for success on that side of it, mate. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. No, it's good. It's good to have. That's no stress, is it? That's what it is. No stress. Well, Just there's gonna relax. be stress. <laughs> I'm coming at the stress bit now because the competition for places and the rivalry, how are you gonna how are you gonna thrive in that? Obviously, you've got Melia there. You played in the Cup game in the Carabao Cup. You saw it. Um, how's that going? How's your relationship building with that? Are you just pushing each other along? Yeah, of course. I think any goal- goalkeeping group that you go into, um, in the first interview I did, I think look, I've been in I've been in this game long enough to know that wherever you go and whatever club you're at, you're going to have good goalkeepers and top goalkeepers competing against you. As a professional athlete, I think you'd be naive to, to think that that's not going to happen. So I knew exactly what I was getting into when I stepped in this door. So... Uh, for me, a bit of patience probably uh, to start off with and it's one that I'm looking forward to battling, if you like, or going along along the road of, of wanting to play. Is it's, it's one of the things that you have to deal with. We had Bex in, uh, on the show, for uh, Jermaine Beckford on the show for, for many years and he used to talk about, and I wonder if this is the same with you as well, Bridgie, actually. He used to talk in the changing room about um, when he had, uh, you know, uh, fellow strikers in there. You know, you're all together for the team, you're all supportive of the team, but at the same time, while you're in there, you're thinking, he's up for my spot here, I want that spot. 
Um, is there is there a is there a strange dynamic where obviously you want to help each other as best you can and maybe I don't know constructive criticism, but is there also sometimes where you say you've got in you you got a bit of a niggling injury, you don't want to share it because you're thinking I don't want anyone to know any weakness. I want to make sure that everyone thinks I'm fit and ready to go. Did you both experience that in the changing room when you were when you were in a competition for for places? For myself, no, I'm quite open and honest all the way through. So if I'm I will play in any game no matter what, near enough, unless something's broken. So that's just the way I am. That's the way I'm wired up. I think that if, if I'm having, if I'm fit and, I'm, and I've got a niggle, I'm going to get through it no matter what, really. And I've played, and you'll be the same, Bridgie. How many times have you played at not 100%? It's just one of them things within professional sport that you have to get through and know that, um, know that well, like you say, if you don't play that, that game, that could be ultimately your last game because someone else might come in and, and take your spot and, and have a, an unbelievable game or mm-hmm. score four goals, five goals, do you know what I mean? And then and then you're out of the picture again. So for me, if if I'm if I'm available and I'm well, then I'm I'm there every game. It, it's like you say, Carl, once you're in and you get that opportunity, and Matt, what to your question, you you know, I, I remember playing through and uh, little niggles and injuries. I remember getting injections into my knees to get through games and sometimes into my feet, you know, to get through the matches. Uh as you would, because you know that. If you lose that spot, then that could be right. you doing sitting down. So yeah, you would do that. If it was anything serious where you knew you were going to be letting the team down, I always flagged flagged that. And plus, I was, what I was going to say to Carl, I was injured for about two years at Leeds. So if you go into the treatment table, mate, m- most most players get <laughs> statues outside of the ground and plaques after them. What I've got, I've got a plaque on a treatment table in the training ground there. So you'll see that. That's my little um, that's my little shrine for being out for two years. Unfortunately, <laughs> all right, I didn't realise that. <laughs> and the other thing for competition for places, you know, I. I I thrived off it. I remember coming to Leeds United. I was, I'd come from Sunderland. I was so underdone and realised fitness-wise, I was way behind. Um, and physically, I was way behind some of the players and also with the pedigree of how good the players were. And I knew that I was going to have to do the extras and I was up for the challenge. And like you say, Matt, you know, once I got my chance in 99-2000, you know, to go on and score 21 goals that season, I was up for the challenge. And I, my my football knowledge went from being an average player with the, you know, I had a, always wanted to win every race, every every fitness level, every sprint. And, but because I was playing with better players, my level of football went up through the roof. Um, and I, I never felt threatened. The only time I felt threatened at Leeds United for my place is when Mark Viduka turned up and I witnessed Mark Viduka for the first two <laughs> weeks in training and I thought, my God. It's the first time in my right. career I actually admitted defeat and I went, I'm never going to play for this club ever again because <laughs> this guy is so good. And he was the most laziest man oh, in training, man. but he was that bloody good man. And that, that, was, yeah. that was a hard reality. I was still up for the challenge, but I just knew. And when I watched him, I'm sitting on the bench and he scored four goals against Liverpool. We won four, three. I was like, that's why you're sitting on the bench, son. So, you know, sometimes <laughs> you've got to admit it. And I never thought I would do that. It happens very, doesn't happen very often. But I'm, I'm like, Carl, you've got, to, you've got to want that position for places. And I always found it, I find it interesting on the goalkeeper union. Do you guys, Carl, because obviously I, I finished, um, I retired about eight, nine years ago. Do you lads still go off early and do your own sessions and do your own training and have your own little plot of land at the training ground? Or yeah, have yeah. times changed where you're now a little bit more integrated in the training sessions? So are you in the possession games nowadays and things like that? Uh, yeah, we are. Yeah, um, it's all right. Mixed match, really. We'll be, obviously, the goalkeeping coach will get a certain amount of time dictated to him of how long we have together. Um, so we'll do all our specific training and, and everything like that. And then, obviously... 
when they need us for whatever it might be, like you say, possession drill, shooting drill, small sided games, tactical work, then we obviously go over. So for that, probably half an hour, 45 minutes, I'd say that we get, like you say, in that, in that bubble of four or five yeah. goalkeepers. And then we get taken away to be with the riffraff like you lot. Yeah, so, I was going to say. Uh, we, used to just, we used to just wave Nigel Martin and Paul Robinson off into the little corner of the, the yeah, paddock yeah. field, you know, and say, see you later, lads. And then you, you might see them for a little yeah. spell. But I know coaching myself nowadays, that times have changed. It's great to get you lads in for the for the possession game. So just so, you know, it's nice for the fans and, and other goalkeepers out there to hear that, what goes on in, in the pro game. You're not just seen as these, you know, get over there, lads, and you're forgotten about anymore. No, it's yeah, definitely. And I think that's the way that goalkeeping has evolved. Like everyone talks about nowadays, you have to be good with your feet yeah. as well. So mm-hmm. um, that's probably one of the main changes that's happened throughout my career to start off with. It was never you, that you'd be in a possession drill or yeah. be asked to do anything outfield like because every time you give it away we would give you grief saying get get them out here yeah exactly yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 ruining the session yeah, <laughs> well, do you know what Carl? I'm, I'm really interested in the psychology about that because you know you could sit on a bench for 90 minutes and not get on because that's the goalkeeper's lot but then also you know number one could get injured after 10 minutes and you've got to come into the game but you know if, if you come off the bench as a striker and you lose the ball make a mistake well no one's too bothered you do it as a goalkeeper it probably ends up in a goal you're in trouble like, how do you how do you maintain that com- that concentration say for for 70 minutes of a game when you think I'm probably not going to get on here and then suddenly you are on and you've got to expect and they're expecting you not only to play as a goalkeeper but effectively another centre half with your feet as well how do you maintain that level of concentration so as not to make any embarrassing mistakes I guess yeah I think um, you're always engaged throughout the game I think obviously you're following it no matter it's probably similar to every outfield player has to be engaged and know exactly what position is their requirements for that position or where they might come on so ours is probably a little bit easier in that knowing there's only going to be one position well hopefully there's only going to be one position that you're going to come on so um, we'll still go through all the all the threats all the penalties everything like that beforehand um, in terms of analysis with the goalkeeping coach and the uh, analysts that are at the club so I will know before the game in terms of where strikers would normally hit the penalties where what what crosses are meant to be this that and the other so you, you do have quite a, um, a lot of information I suppose before even going into onto the pitch um, to play and obviously I have that information if I'm on the bench as well so <clears throat> that's massively helpful and then you obviously get a feel for the game as the game's going along and like I say if you have to come on in the, in the 70th 80th minute it's, it's not something that you want but part of the job isn't it so um, yeah Is that first touch absolutely crucial because I mean I imagine it is for all footballers but for a goalkeeper especially is it like you just don't mess up that first touch Yeah yes and no I suppose I think handling wise yeah you want you want to be you want a good one It's, it's more crosses or shot stop and if you drop that ball you know they're going to get yeah. stick off the lads that's what <laughs> yeah. it is yeah. If I shell the ball out of play first yeah. time I'm not too bothered but if I if I yeah. drop one I'm thinking oh, yeah. it's going to be a long day yeah. Totally Who are you more worried about dropping it for is it the crowd getting on your back or is it the the rest of the team giving you grief no no I think it's more a personal thing I think you know in yourself that you think right I need to recover from that and and then that starts to play in your head so as a goalkeeper you have to get rid of things as quickly as possible yeah so if if you've made if you've made a mistake or you've done something that's wrong then your next action has to be perfect 
and probably the next five or six after that for the crowd to get off your back especially if you're playing away from home you right. know every time it comes back to you you're getting the old oh yeah and then obviously the words that um come with that so it's yeah it's a case of recovering from it as quickly as possible <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm moving on. So you, you were just talking there. You said, um, you said hopefully it's just one position that you come on for your goalkeeping position. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to take you back to when you were obviously growing up playing football. For the first one, did you always realise you were going to be a goalkeeper? And when you were a kid, did you play any other positions? Because when I played at Leeds United, Paul Robinson always fancied himself as a striker, penalties, free kicks. He always used to think that he was God's gift. He could head it though, couldn't he? He certainly could. He got a goal against Swindon. So was there any other positions you played as a kid? And what made you decide to be goalkeeper? When did you realise? Yeah, so I was seven or eight probably, and I played centre-half. And I actually went on trial at Aston Aston Villa. I came through the academy from eight till 15. Yeah. Yeah, from eight till fifteen, I got signed as an eight-year-old, wow. um, as wow. actually as actually a cent- as a centre half. Um, so I signed as a centre half at eight years old. Went in goal, and I always remember my dad saying, "Don't go in goal, never go in goal," because he, he knew that he knew that I, I was like, I was good. And um, so I went in a couple of sessions where they said, "Oh, can you play in goal? Can you do this?" I said, "Yeah, yeah." Went in goal and came to it, and they they obviously said, "Look, we want we think you're better in goal than what you are at centre half." We want to keep you on as a as a goalkeeper. Wow! And to be fair, as as a young lad, I always loved playing in goal. As as if you've got I don't know if you have kids that you know what it's like diving around and you can get rid of a load of energy. So I always loved that part of, of playing in goal. And yeah, for some reason, being smashed with a ball from <laughs> five yards away it's one of them one of the things that they say we're mad but it is that, that's the crazy thing about it, it. To be, yeah. that's probably the, the best feeling for me is when you make a save from three or four yards out and it's just cannoned off you yeah. I, I, I don't think there's a better feeling for me than, wow. than that well, or, well, or coming for a cr- coming for a cross and getting smashed in, in the air I and, love that. and knowing you've taken you've it you've got so the mindset of the monk off Mean Machine <laughs> yeah. love it yeah. love it yeah yeah horrible I might look like this but I'm pretty horrible underneath mate <laughs> that's brilliant man. we might need that this season I'm fascinated by you being uh, a young kid playing football What's that, what age did you start Bridgie what, what, what age were you in an academy uh, I started in the academy from the I was at Newcastle United Academy from the age of 10 till 13 um, right. for three years um, and I was told that I, I, I was, wasn't needed or wasn't ready for the next step so I went to Middlesbrough Football Club for a year Okay. Um, and again, got told I was rubbish. So it was third time lucky for me. Um, when I when I was um, I got spotted actually playing for the school, and the scout came to watch another player who was a goal scoring machine called Simon Foster. And you know, you talk about right place at the right time. I always wanted to. I, th- I thought um, at some point I might get another opportunity. And, and I, there was a scout standing watching the game, and I was a midfielder. Um, I played midfield as a kid, but this game I played up front for the school because Simon was injured. And there was a scout called Jack Hickson who spotted Alan Shearer years ago, turned to my dad, I scored five goals. And literally, genuine, genuine, this is this is full on right place, right time, but my dad was very smart. The scout turned to my dad and said, excuse me, do you mind us asking who's the number 10? He said, I'm here to see Simon Foster, but I've never, he's not playing, who's the number 10? And my dad said, oh, that's Michael Bridges. He said, Simon.
Simon Foster's rubbish mate. Take this kid. And he didn't tell him who he didn't. My dad never mentioned he was my father. And um, long story short, I got the opportunity to go and have a two week trial as work experience from school. And I was in there for three days and um, I've just had an absolute worldy three days where I was doing very, very well against the academy kids. And I was offered a contract the following year to come, come on as an apprentice for two years. So I was very, very lucky, but I was ready for the opportunity after two two moments of rejection. I used that as a um, motivation to get through, mate. So I was, um, I went from being a midfielder as a kid to a striker at Sunderland um, at, a, at a late age. I mean, am I right in saying that you were um, released by Villa and then recommended to Forest, Carl? Is that right? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, I've been an actor since I was five, so I've I'm pretty comfortable with rejection by now. Um, I've, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I've that makes all three of us now, then. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so what I'm curious about is, like, when you're that age, you know, when you, Bridgie, you were saying you were 10, 11, I think, were you like 13, Carl? Like, when you get let go by a team, do you think, oh, that's it now, I'm done, like, I'm never going to be a footballer, or or does it actually put a rocket up your ass? Like, how, how did it work for you two? Uh, yeah, for myself, it was... It was a strange one because I knew... So I had two goalkeeping coaches, Eric Steele, who's well-known throughout the goalkeeping world, and Andy Quay. And they both recommended to the um, academy director to keep me on. So they left anyway under the management about two, three months before the renewals happened. And this is from Villa? This is from Villa, yeah. So yeah. I thought, right, I'm fine. Like They've both told me, the two people that I work with the most all the way through my, well, the last three or four years, they said to recommend to keep me on. So going into it, trained, I remember the dad going into the meeting, coming out of the meeting, and then went to get the uh, get in the car home, just expecting him to say, oh yeah, you signed a scholar, it's going to be two years, this, that, and the other. And he said, no, no, like they're not offering you one. And I honestly thought he was joking. I was like, oh, wow. seriously? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, they're not giving you it, blah, blah, blah. Anyway was was ups, not upset but gutted thinking yeah. oh well I've spent so much of my time at this at this club seven eight years um, been up and down to Birmingham however many times and it was a big part of my life from growing up um, well it was, it was all my fo- football career new anyway two three weeks later Eric Steele had got in touch with uh, Steve Sutton at Nottingham Forest and um Dave Watson at Nottingham Forest, the two goalkeeping coaches there, to take a look at him, blah, blah, blah. Went in there and then was probably there a week, two weeks, and they said, yeah, we're going to offer you a scholarship. So it's as quickly as quick as that that right. you can then, t- then turn around again. Obviously, I was fortunate that I had Eric Steele, who is a big, big, big name in like, the goalkeeping um, coaching world, recommend me to go somewhere else. And, and at that stage of my career, it was, it was perfect for me. Looking back on it now, I was able to develop at Nottingham Forest knowing there was a pathway through to get to the number one spot, which might may not have been there at Aston Villa. So um, at, that, at, the, at the point of rejection, like you say, it was obviously disappointing, but the fact that things turned around so quickly again for me to to be able to have another opportunity and, and I could see a way through and a pathway through and I was working with Steve Sutton was unbelievable for me going through as a... As, um, as a young goalie and progressing me into into that first team. I find it fascinating what you're saying there as well, Carl, because I I've, I know a lot of players that are in the professional game that have had rejection from a young age and used it as motivation. I was one of them uh, twice for me and you'll know John Carver was at Newcastle United. So Jace, John Carver was the one that released me at a young age and it was so rewarding when Sunderland youth team played Newcastle youth team because I, I was, if there's any kids listening to this, you know, I, I was a very late developer puberty-wise. I was, I was skinny, I was small and a lot of 
of the other lads developed physically um, quicker than me. And I remember probably hitting puberty at the age of 16, early when I was early 16, and I shot away and I started filling out a little bit. And it, I played against Newcastle youth team and scored a hat trick. And John Carver came up to us, the first one to congratulate me and say, mate, he said, how have you grown so much? How have you developed so much? He said, I've made a mistake, but um, good on you. You've obviously used it as motivation. So I know a lot of players that have had rejections that have gone on to be in the pro game back in the day. I know nowadays it's a lot more of a fragile topic and a subject because rejection is, you know, a lot of people don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Um, so if there's anybody listening that has been released from clubs or that they're struggling at this moment in time at a young age, from me and Carl, there is still opportunities and still chances. You've just got to make sure you channel that focus to one, prove people mm. wrong and to mentally get tougher and say, you know, I've I've got a chance. You've always got to, always got to have a go and fulfil your dream because there's two people here talking about it that had a second chance and third chance. Can I just touch, I'll touch on that as well with what you said about late development because I'd have only been probably five foot five, five foot six at the time of being released by like 15. Like you say, late development is yeah. is a big thing as well and these clubs are making decisions on people 15, 16 that right. are nowhere near where they're going to be as a man. Yeah. So you look at me now, I'm six foot three and built all right. <laughs> but it's, it's a case of the fact that these clubs are making decisions based on yeah. oh, how tall is he going to be? Yeah. How What's he going to be like? It, they have no idea how you're going to be in two or three years' time. They should really be looking at the talent that you have at the time of, of the rejection. So it's uh, like I say, yeah, if, if you have been rejected, then keep going because you never know what's around the corner. Love it, mate. Well said. Are there any, you'd have to name any names, but are there any people that you lads grew up with that you're like, they're one of the best players I've ever played with and then they just didn't make it? They didn't get picked up? Loads, yeah. yeah. And what happens in terms of, I imagine, obviously, no disrespect to you, Bridgie, but slight different <laughs> generation. I wonder how much it's changed. I don't know. Um, but when you are released at, at these ages, like, is the, are you just sort of spat back out into the real world? Is there any kind of, uh, is there any help? Is there any guidance? Or, or are you just like, you've been a footballer until you were 16 and then now you're just not? For me, it was um, straight back. I mean, I'm going back, my neck. It was 90, 94, 95 for me. Um, you were just put back into the wilderness. And thankfully, my dad was, um, my dad dad was retired uh, from the police force so he had a lot of time and he invested a lot of time in me and just you know I cried for about two or three weeks I had really bad rejection from from it but I bounced back my dad was like we'll go to the field we'll work on your touch we'll do this I was lucky in that respect that I had a father and a, and a good mentor to get us back on the right tracks um, and I'm sure nowadays the rejections handle a lot better outside of academies I don't know I mean Carl might have, have more more insight into that No I still think it's similar from, it- from what I know I don't, I'm not sure whether there is a, a pathway or obviously I, I actually went and played in a trial game at 15 um, and got told no from them as well but it was it was a case of yeah if that if if I hadn't been recommended to Forest at that point that would have been me done I think so I, I don't know whether it is still the same at that, right. that sort of age that scholarship age obviously you then get your education going through them two three years of scholarship but before that if you've been in an academy from I don't know, seven till 15, 16, I'm pretty sure that there probably isn't much help still, which is scary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about that as well, because like, again, 
acting since I was five. One of the questions I get asked all the time, which I actually find pretty boring now, is like, so how did you do your schooling? How did you do acting and schooling at the same time? But actually, now I'm talking to you two, I'm genuinely curious. Um, like, how does that all work? Like, are you like, like in America, for example, clubs are really strict on the education side. You know, if you're not getting the grades, you aren't going to make the team. Um, is that is that a similar thing here? Or are you kind of left to your own devices? Is time, is time made for that kind of thing? Like how many kids come out at 50? didn't get a pro contract but also barely got any GCSEs either like how, how does the education side work I'll give you a quick one on my answer I used to be we used to get picked up all the Sunday lads there was two buses there was one for the bright kids in the academy there was one for the thick, <laughs> thick kids in the academy <laughs> which were you on Bridge? I was on the thick bus they didn't get picked up keepers <laughs> <laughs> union right one nil there you go <laughs> brilliant so it was funny when we used to leave we used to go from um, and then we'd go and pick up the um, the Newcastle players would pick us up on the bus they'd be the first ones on then we'd go and pick up uh, Middlesbrough uh, sorry Hartlepool then the Darlington players and then we'd all meet and we used to go to uh, uh, two colleges like I say there was one one um, smarter college and one thick college um, and I went <laughs> I went to Teesside Tertiary and we'd all be in a class with all the other players from the YTs and that's how we did our education we were allowed to go there one day a week um, and I got a I got a distinction in leisure and tourism, which was meant to be the equivalent of an A level. I'm calling BS on that because that was just what they used to call it, right? I've got one of them as well. <laughs> <laughs> I passed because the teacher at that college was a Sunderland fan, and I when I got in the first team, wow! I used to give tickets to the teacher, so he did all my modules for us. So that was um, yeah, that's how I got my education behind us. Wow. <laughs> No, it's the same with the, the the distinction thing. Obviously, I don't. No one knows what that means. But at the time, they always say, "Yeah, it's similar to an A level." So I think, yeah, whether it whether it helps you if you went into a college, I don't know. But right. and where did you get yours? We had um, there's an education site on at the city ground in Nottingham. So oh, literally, okay. there is there was an education where we we'd train in the morning, then we'd go there in the afternoon for three four days a week every afternoon. I know um, Archie Gray's still doing his uh, right. here. He's obviously he's seventeen, isn't he? So Amazing. he's obviously still is going through that education program, which which is good because it keeps you grounded yeah. at the same time, yeah. knowing that yeah. he is playing every week at the minute, and <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's still having to go and do his education program in the afternoon. So. Um, we all have, we all have to go through it. Yeah. That must be so hard to concentrate though, knowing when like you you're well, particularly for him as well, when he sees all his all his mates and, yeah. and and peers, they're all out with families and going out drinking. Well, not drinking, obviously, but going out doing whatever the hell they want, and he's got to go and do bloody. Oh, that's got its plus now because you do it all in house. So can you imagine me playing first team for Sunderland, but going to a, a college in Middlesbrough? I never got anybody ask me for autographs. <laughs> I got. I used to get chin, almost chinned and chased off all the Middlesbrough fans at the uni. It was a nightmare. <laughs> right, back to the goalkeeping scenario. So talk us through yes. um, towards the end. Just give us a typical rundown of what a goalkeeper in your scenario does at a professional club on a day-to-day basis. Like, what's your, what's your daily routine look like at the minute? Um, wake up. I'll, um, I've got the little one at the moment in the hotel with me, so that's good fun. So he'll come in for oh, a, wow. for a cuddle, cuddle and a biscuit in the morning. Then I'll get showered, get ready, obviously come into training. Um, we'll do some sort of pre-activation work in terms of getting the body going um, and also maybe upper bodies or legs before training. If not, we'll do that after training. We're then, well, we have been having a meeting near enough every day at the minute, so that, that will go into a meeting. Go out and train, hour and a half, hour, 45 minutes, come back in and then do some more, well, lunch and then more gym um, gym work. 
and yeah, go back to the hotel, see see what uh, father duties I have to do for the evening, and then go to bed and wake up and do the same thing all over again. Love it. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's what it is <laughs> at the minute. I've got so many more questions for you. I could chat to you for ages, mate. How, how good is he, Matt? Uh, I'll have to do part two. Like, yeah, absolutely. I um, no, it's, been, it's been a really good chat. I want to talk to you about being a dad as well as a footballer. I've got so many questions, but I hear that you've got to go report to training in less than a minute, I'm being told. So we're going to have to let you go. But absolutely, let's do Carl Darlow part two later on in the season, if that's all right with you. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where we're at at that point in the season as well definitely. so no, I'll definitely do that Call mate an absolute pleasure lad I wish you all the best for the rest of this season mate and welcome to Legion United top man thank you for that thanks very much thanks for having me on guys good luck today mate appreciate it thank you uh, well, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. Carl Darlow, who's had to rush off uh, back to training, um, which we can't begrudge him that, can we? But that was uh, that was great, wasn't it? I absolutely loved it. Time flew there, mate. I'm not sure if the listeners are thinking the same, but I really enjoyed, you know, chatting to him, the insight that he gave there. Uh, such a mature lad. And, and like you say, it's great to just go off tangent, Matt. And I, I really, really enjoyed that chat. And I, I, we're definitely going to have to take him up on a part two because I'm sure there is so much more interesting stuff to come from that from that lad, Carl. So that was, that was brilliant, yeah. mate. So, enjoyed it 100% no that was great I'm really fascinated by uh, by his story actually um, and hopefully obviously we'll get some more lads on to talk about their stories but um, yeah definitely Carl Darlow part 2 will be coming up your internet hung on as well mate that's the that's a priority I didn't get hung out a drive by myself <laughs> I don't know how it's still going but it's still going probably costing me a fortune on uh, on phone bill but there we go but uh, he touched on an interesting point as well he said uh, he'll come back on and hopefully it'll be interesting to see where we are as a club, you know, in, in the league um, yeah. later on in the season, um, which, you know, it's it's interesting this year, isn't it? Because it's all up for grabs, um, you know, unlike the, the, the Premier League where you're trying to keep your head above water or whatever. This season, it's like, it's all to play for, isn't it? So it, it will be fascinating to see where we are when we next have him on. And also to see where he is with the competition and battle between the other goalkeepers to see if he's got the number one spot Absolutely. nailed down by then. Yeah. That's um, always, good for, always good for competition, lads. So thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, he's a class act and a, a become a great member of the the squad already and he recognized he recognized the fans and the value behind it mate that's the you know that's a special thing he's come from a big club and he's joined a big Definitely. club with a massive fan base uh, that speaks volumes for me as well well he just touched on there about having a, a, a midweek game against Shrewsbury town in the first round of the cup and having a having a packed Ellen road yeah. like not many clubs can do that yeah. um and um it, it's that I mean I, I feel like a broken record talking about this every other week but that's the stuff that's gonna that's gonna pull pull us through. You know, it really is. I know, I know, the fans can only do so much, and, and there's a lot of things to be to be ironed out over the next few weeks. But it, it, every player comes on, and every player says it. It cannot be overestimated just uh, how important uh, that 12th man's going to be yeah. and the other thing I'm going to do is text uh, Liam Cooper and just say do us a favour look inside call Dolo's wash bag and see what moisturiser uses and I, I need his remedy mates that's what we need because mm. I couldn't believe how old he was to be fair when I looked at it so yeah fair play good looking fella right <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll leave you on that unlike note. us too <laughs> Unlike us two mugs, absolutely. <laughs> Obviously, best of luck to the lads on Friday. Um, we will be back next week to talk everything Leeds United. Thanks very much, everyone. Enjoy the game if you can. Hey, hey, hey.